You're listening to the Reconciling Hope Podcast, where the leadership team of Gospel Hope Church discusses how the Bible transforms our beliefs, actions, and impacts our relationship with God and with others. Well, good morning, Gospel Hope, and welcome to another episode of the Reconciling Hope Podcast. And uh, today I'm here with my partner in crime, Rod Dewberry, and we're going to be discussing Daniel chapter 5. So Rod preached to us on the story of Belshazzar and the handwriting on the wall. So without any further ado, we're going to dive into this here today because i got several questions I'd love to have Rod unpack for us this morning. Um, first thing is this, Rod. In this story, um, we see Belshazzar get judged in a very severe mm-hmm. and rapid fashion. And if you don't know the history of Daniel, Belshazzar is the son of King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you've been tracking with us along this story, it seems like God gave Nebuchadnezzar a lot of rope. Like he he was patient with him. He was merciful with him. And eventually Nebuchadnezzar seems to respond to the Lord. But Belshazzar, it's kind of like, here's the handwriting on the wall. Your reign is over. Why do you think um, that God treated those kings seemingly in such a different fashion? Yeah, well, you know, I, I believe what the Bible says when it says that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. Um, and I think we're also looking at another expression of God's sovereignty. You know, the, the pot can't look at the potter and say, why did you make me this way? That's a second uh, reality in the background of the story. But kind of pivoting back to God's mercy. Um, if you look at Daniel's words, it became very clear that Daniel, from God's perspective, was seen, well, God would seem to be communicating from, from, from Daniel's own words, that Belshazzar had seen enough to know. I mean, if Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's son and an heir apparent to the throne, if that's the way the ascension of the throne works in the ancient Near East, it's likely he was the oldest son, if not the only son. And then here you go, he would have seen all of these events play out live in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And so whether it was directly through the hand of God or whether it was indirectly through the life of his father, the Lord felt he had communicated sufficiently his great might and power, um, and that it was discernible enough for Belshazzar to have known it. And so I believe God um, essentially had given Belshazzar enough, if not more, uh, information uh, than he had given his father on who he was. And then I think there may be one additional element. While Nebuchadnezzar indeed was responsible for, you know, ravaging God's people and bringing them into exile, Belshazzar did something else that I thought was unique, and he didn't do what, you know, Nebuchadnezzar did. Nebuchadnezzar, yes, he he stole the emblems from the Lord's temple, but Belshazzar went another level, and he used them in a way that gave homage to idol gods, and if we know anything about our God, while he is intolerant of idolatry in many ways, he's deeply offended by it in other ways, especially when um, a person would patronize an idol god in light of the knowledge that he is the one true God. Look at how he responded to Pharaoh. I mean, he tolerated the fact that there were other gods on the pantheon, but each one of the plagues was designed to show that none of these gods can protect you. And if I could just for a moment, without going too long on this, Belshazzar's name means Bell protects the king. And I believe that there was an element of 
of, of demonstration there to say, no, there is no idol God that can protect you from me, the one true God. So uh, I hope in all of that, you can see why the Lord's patience would have been seemingly lower, but I don't even, I can't say that his patience was lower. I believe that he had given sufficient grace in other ways. Yeah, so in some senses, um, you're saying that we're accountable for the light that God gives us. Would you agree with that statement? I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah. 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 We're, we're accountable for that. Yeah. And it seems like Belshazzar maybe had more light than Nebuchadnezzar did earlier in his reign. So, absolutely. I, I would um, agree with both statements. Yeah. So, and this was another point you brought up in the message that I thought was incredibly helpful. Things seemed to be going well for Belshazzar. Like he was partying, basically, living high on the hog, as it were. Why is, mm -hmm. was it hard for him and hard for us to see our need for God when, when things are going well? And why is that a particularly dangerous position to be in? Yeah. So one, I hope no one is afraid of life going good. Right. <laughs> uh, right. We want that life. This is not a this is not a theology of uh, perpetual moping, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but when we are living a life where things are going our way, not to just requote the message, man, it is hard, even for us as well-meaning believers, to kind of feel our dependency on God and to mm -hmm. recognize how much we need Him. We have. Um, uh, I don't know about any other countries, and I don't know about any other cultures, but perhaps maybe Belshazzar's is evidence that it is it is pretty um, uh, ubiquitous that this happens. But man, when we don't feel our need, we don't recognize that we have a need. Mm -hmm. uh, some, some, uh, maybe a, a couple of years ago, I think during a message, I used the example of a person who has an asthma attack or an allergic reaction that challenges their breathing and how conscious we become of how essential breathing is. But mm -hmm. as we're breathing all the day long, we we know breath is essential, but we don't feel it. But right. for the asthmatic who's at the end of their life, as well as for the person who has never had their breathing challenge, both of those people have the same level of dependency on breathing. It's just mm -hmm. that one is feeling it because it's choked off at that moment. And yeah. I think, so unfortunately, uh, when when things are going really well, we just lose that sense of dependency that every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights, that, that God, it causes it to rain and the sun to shine on both the just and the unjust, that it is the Lord who is allowing these great things that we're enjoying to just pour into our lives. And so whether it's through uh, giving God credit when things are going great or giving him our cries, as I would put it, when things aren't going great, we need to maintain a, a, a heart that has a healthy appreciation for how God is moving and how dependent we are on him, regardless of the season that we're in. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, the way that I've thought about it in the past is like success gives us the illusion of independence. Like when we're succeeding, we think, oh, you know, I don't need God, but sometimes failure or hardship um, is a gift in the way that it reminds us of reality. We really do need God, but that, that's a great point that you brought out there. And let me kind of pivot and, and push a little bit further in that. Um, you, you talked about how this passage particularly connects with today um, mm -hmm. and the idea of misplaced faith. So yeah. Belshazzar had his faith in the wrong things, really. How should this inform the way 
that we think about, you know, we're, we just got kind of the election results, uh, whether mm-hmm. your candidate won or lost, how should this idea of placing our faith in the right, right things inform the way we as Christians operate? Yeah, you know, um, you know, our, our emotions, I think you, you put it this way, they are, uh, they inform, but they should not uh, make decisions for us, right? They're terrible yeah. at, they're, they're great at giving us information, but they're terrible about framing decisions. And, you know, if you're looking at your emotions right now, and man, you are broken up or hyper elated about what's happening right now, that's awesome. That's okay. But you really need to ask yourself, where is that emotion coming from? Is your hope there? And I think what's very informative about this passage and where we are today is that if you feel like um, the person of your preference has the kind of power to change your reality for the ultimate good, I really think you need to go back to the, you need to go back to the drawing board and ask yourself, where is my faith? Where's mm-hmm. my faith? It doesn't mean you can't be excited about the prospect uh, of where our nation is headed, but man, if you are crushed or you're just releasing balloons in the air because this is the greatest time ever, you, you got to ask some questions because I, I believe that that kind of joy should be anchored uniquely in our relationship with Jesus. That's right. And, um, yeah, I, I just I just believe that. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, because Jesus is our king, right. if we're believers, the election results, it's not that we shouldn't feel any type of way, like you said, but we should be neither overly triumphant nor right. overly discouraged. Ne- neither way, like it, it, no matter what your kind of bend was, it's like, right. no, ultimately Christ is our king. And my ultimate hope is not in one candidate or the other. Um, we can have feelings, but they're always secondary in our allegiance and identification with Christ. I, I just think that's a such a helpful word that you shared with us. Like, is my heart more hopeful because of Christ mm. um, or because of something that's going on in my circumstances? Not just the election, but just all the time. Where does my hope really anchored in um yeah great that 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 to me was the greatest like pastoral application that you made and um yeah. i think you got a lot of amens and even some hand claps of praise during amen. that statement there you know, there you, you go gospel hope that's interesting hey man hey man <laughs> yeah I, I think the i think the phrase was if you got more or less hope out of tuesday than you did out of calvary you need mm. to you know, you get, you need to check yourself. Yeah. Oh, oh, I got it again. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to kind of bite the lip too on that one. So many, you know, we really give you really helpful instructions on this podcast for so many life, life yeah, lessons. Exactly. Uh, well, Hey, we, we are a church that says, Hey, we want to be growing in three relationships, our relationship with God, relationship with one another and our relationship with the world. As you were preaching through Daniel 5, which one were you thinking about? Man, I cannot escape lessons on God's sovereignty. Man, if I am growing up in my understanding of just what it means for God to be sovereign and how not just, that's just not a high doctrine that sits way up on the shelf to be accessed at moments of trouble. But Mm -hmm. when I pull that down into my daily life, Man, that really settles me. That really settles me when I got a good theology of God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately, sovereignty is just like, um, you know, just like back in the 90s, the word anointing 
you know, had got so much road time, so much air time that it started to lose its 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 punch uh, and its potency for us. I don't know if in the churches you were part of up in, in Joliet, that was that was a thing. But there there's just certain phrases that get a lot of mileage in the body of Christ. And right. you know, gospel is becoming gospel centrality is becoming mm-hmm. one. You know, mm-hmm. where people say, Oh yeah, yeah, the gospel. And you really don't know what you're talking about. Or it's what you're referring to is less than than the essence of what it really means. And I think right. sovereignty is becoming one of those. It would do our hearts well to really reinvest a great deal of attention and understanding the so- attention in, in, in the sovereignty of God. It is so important to a settled heart for the believer um, yep. as we navigate this life. And, and I think if I could recommend a resource on that, um, the best book I've ever read on that, and I've given it out dozens of times, is, is just called Trusting God. And mm. the subtitle is Even When Life Hurts. And um, it's just a beautiful treatise on why we can trust the Lord even when things don't go our way. Uh, yeah. And I think an important thing to remember about God's sovereignty is that it never operates in isolation. Here's what I mean. God's sovereignty is never like alone apart from his wisdom or his goodness. God is a sovereignly wise, good, loving God. And all right. of that works together because sovereignty alone is is not good news. You know, right. uh, yeah. you know, God could be a tyrant, but he's not. Yeah. He's a gracious, loving, wise, caring father who happens to be in control of all things. And so I think when we remember that, it, it really um, gives us that ballast we need to make it through tough times. Yeah. Uh, final question, Rod. Um, we talk about displaying the reconciling hope of the gospel at our church. We, we want to be a church that that is put on display on a regular basis. How does Daniel chapter five show the reconciling hope that's available in Jesus? So again, I mean, what group of people were, tr- were needed to gain hope from the story of Daniel? It was God's people who were in exile. And I think what God clearly put on display in Daniel chapter five is how God is at work, both in, again, what I would call both the obstinance of one king and the obedience of another, and how n- neither of those two can escape the sovereign hands of God and God. So God can create a climate of hope for his people with the most obstinate leader or the most obedient leader, all things Mm -hmm. in between. None of them are outside of his grasp. And then I think I pointed again to Acts chapter two, where the Bible says uh, that the Lord who led Jesus to the cross by his determinate counsel and foreknowledge, but, you know, Israel killed him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, So God both recognizes the great treachery of those who killed him but the great humility of Christ who gave his life willingly. He is able to reconcile both of these things that seem to be running in opposite directions under the halo or the umbrella of his sovereignty. That should give us hope that the worst thing in human history met up with the best thing of human history and God is able to reconcile them both for his providential ends. Mm. And so, uh, man, that encourages my heart. That Mm. encourages my heart. It it really does. Um, And you know, I'm a perpetual optimist anyway. And, uh, you know, sometimes optimism can hang on just being, you know, a jovial person. But man, when I can anchor real life optimism in the fact that God is working providentially and I'm in him because of faith in Christ. That's right. Uh, that, that puts the optimism on turbo boost. Right. Right. Like better word. Uh, yeah. Hope, I, you put it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I mean, and, and it really sounds like you're talking about Romans 8 there, that concept yeah. of and we know yeah. Yeah. that all things work together for the good, not, not just for anybody and everybody. Yes, but for those who love God, who have been called according to His purpose, because 
because Jesus died on the cross, this God right. who can take the worst thing and make it the best thing is in our corner and he's not going anywhere. And that should give us hope um, in Jesus. So amen. Amen. Well, Rod, again, thanks for blessing us. And uh, man, I've really enjoyed this study of Daniel. I, I feel like every series I really enjoy working through and preaching through. And uh, man, I'm excited to see what the Lord uh, teaches us through the rest of the series. We got about three or four weeks left as we work yeah. through this book. Excited to hear from Manuel Sanchez in our next um, right. installment That's of right. Daniel. And then you and I will close us out. So uh, appreciate you, brother. And thanks everybody for tuning in. Hope this is encouragement to you to trust that your Lord is working for your good, even when things seem bad and that we can trust in him to reconcile all things to himself through Christ. Hope to see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Reconciling Hope podcast. Be sure to subscribe for future content on podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Gospel Hope Church is located in Atlanta, Georgia, with the mission of making disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. If you're interested in learning more, tune into our Facebook Live services Sundays at 11 a.m., or check out gospelhopechurch.com.